When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is a returning guest. Welcome to the show, Liam Regan. Hi, Stuart. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's great to be back. It is. Only seven years between um, the last time we spoke. This was organised prior to FrightFest 2022 being announced, and now the date's arrived for us to talk. We can include in this conversation the fact that you'll be world premiering your new movie, Eating Miss Campbell. That is correct. Yes, the uh, the prodigal son returns to Fright Fest. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we get into what we're going to go, we're going to do five great trauma movies with Liam. But before we do, do you want to tell the listener uh, what Eating Miss Campbell's all about? Sure. Yeah, I mean, Eating Miss Campbell uh, is about a uh, a vegan goth student who falls in love with her English teacher and develops a taste for human flesh. Um, it also satires many uh, social issues today and controversies like school shootings, veganism, uh, self-harm, suicide, and, um, and uh, date rape pills. So it's, it's, it's a black comedy um, uh, and, it's, it's, it, and also it's produced by Lloyd Kaufman, so it's, it's, got, its, it's got its traumatic tendencies. Um, it's also a sequel to my, my first film, My Bloody Banjo because that film didn't really do any business whatsoever. So I guess the only uh, way I could make a banjo too was self-financing it myself. So um, it's kind of like the past seven years of my uh, brain thrown to the wall and splattered into mush. So uh, I hope people will like it because it, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think... I think I think it's an improvement on banjo. Like when when I was speaking to you about banjo as a very naive young uh, boy, I think I was only like twenty nine, maybe maybe thirty. And now I'm thirty seven, and I'm very and I feel like the one thing that they don't they don't teach you is what happens after the film festival circuit. Now I signed a really bad distribution deal for banjo, and um, you know uh, the film got censored in America. Uh, they changed the title obviously to My Bloody Banjo because Banjo doesn't sound like a horror film. And, um, you know, I've not seen any pennies for the film. So I had to, I had to buy back my own UK rights. Laurie Brewster of Hex Media negotiated a deal. <laughs> I had to actually buy back my UK rights. And now uh, we recut it and we're going to put it out on Blu-ray, self-distribution. When you say we, who's the we going to put it out? Oh, sorry, uh, me. <laughs> so I, I'm going to start my own distribution uh, label called Refuse Films. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm taking advantage of like the whole boutique Blu-ray um, uh, kind of phenomenon that's happening. I'm, I'm a big fan of like Arrow Video Vinegar Syndrome Severin, and um, so I'm getting the uh, the discs factory pressed. So it's not gonna be like BDRs or anything. It's gonna be professionally done. Uh, nice cover artwork by Graham Humphreys. 
Um, and uh, we're going to do like fulfillment with Amazon and HMV, as well as like on the website too. Um, we, we just got to go through like the BBFC certific- certification process. So I, you know, I reckon it'll be an 18 because the BBFC these days, they only really care about sexual violence, I think. And I mean, we've got gentle mutilation in there, but hey, Lars von Trier did it, right? And Lars von Trier got away with it. So uh, if it's good enough for Lars von Trier, then it's good enough for Liam Regan. When can people hope to get that beautiful Blu-ray version of it? Yeah, well, uh, I'm planning November. So mm. um, I've just done the Indiegogo for the post-production for Eating Miss Campbell. And one yeah. of the picks was the My Bloody Banjo uh, Blu-ray, which comes with the director's cut and the festival cut. Two completely different cuts. With uh, Banjo, it was very much rushed for Fryfest. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there were a lot of politics involved. I, I wasn't in the edit. And this isn't me just saying, oh, well, you know, I've... In the past seven years, I've made it the film it should have been when I was a naive young boy. Now, there was a lot of politics involved. And I feel like now it, it's, it looks good. I mean, it actually has a grid now where beforehand, I think it was just like, a, like it was like an automatic LUT uh, for the export. So, uh, but anyway, that's the past and this is the future. Eating Miss Campbell. Um, I think people are going to like it. Uh, it's got characters from Banjo. So even if you've never seen Banjo, it works in a standalone film too. And uh, it, it, it also references a lot of like independent films and like just filmmaking tropes. And it's very much inspired like films like Heather's, Mean Girls, um, Jawbreaker, Tragedy Girls. So it's that kind of like dark teen comedy mm. with a lot of satire. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I hope people like it. In your summing up of what it was... I'm interested mm. for you for, for a list that includes, as you said, commenting on things like gun shoot, school shootings, bullying. But then you also say and veganism. I mean, is veganism that controversial in <laughs> in comparison? Well, it's not. No. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, all my friends are now vegan, which I think is fantastic, and I think ethically, it's it's brilliant. I'm a meat eater, but. The film itself, I think it's more about the moral dilemmas uh, of, uh, of what a vegan goes through, where they have this taste for human flesh, but they don't, but they don't want to... But it, I think they're trying to justify, is it okay to kill something if they're evil and then consume it? So it's kind of like a, uh, like a moral stance on uh, we, we, you know, veganism versus meat eaters and... You know, but you know, it's it doesn't make fun of veganism because um, I think it's a great cause. I try not to eat as much meat these days, just because I watch a lot of documentaries of you know factory farming, etc. Um, but you know, if you're a vegan, you're gonna love it. Um, uh, if <laughs> if you uh, if you support uh, if uh, if no, I'm not gonna say that. Um, yeah, it's just a very it, it, to me. It's just me having fun, I, and I and I miss films that are social satires. I don't think you see many these days. I mean, the only the only kind of social satire that's on TV right now is like South Park, and I feel like South Park they kind of just make fun of everything, and they and, it, and it's not political, as in they don't like not, it's not a left leaning show, it's not a right leaning show, it's more of a centralist kind of thing. And, you know, I think with Ian Miss Campbell, I'm just like pointing fun and making fun of conventions, um, as well as, you know, the horror movie tropes of having like the school jock, the mean girls, uh, the token goth girl. Um, and then obviously 
bringing the school shooting element into it, um, just to show how ridiculous it is um, that it's easy to get guns in America. So it's it's kind of like a British school, but the Americans have come in and to make um, uh, for, for the school to make money again, they uh, they sell the rights to live stream an all you can eat massacre event, meaning that the winner. Uh, the winner of the All You Can Eat Massacre either gets to choose whether to kill themselves or to shoot up their school. Um, uh, and it's really a commentary of, you know, it, it, you know, tragedies... It, it, the, the idea that Columbine was, like, years ago, and we're, we're, in 20, we're doing 2022 right now, and we're still hearing about massacres, uh, school massacres in America, it's... Yeah. it's, it's I don't want to get political about this whatsoever, but it's uh, it's, it's very disturbing. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I think it's, it's just... a subject that isn't going to go away, is it? I mean, I watched um, I watched Nitram the other day, which is Justin Kurzel's mm-hmm. moving film about what creates the monster that does the shooting, um, and it's clearly a very mm-hmm. angry film about the fact that people, lots of people, have needlessly own guns, and that guns are clearly a problem in terms of shooting because you take the guns out of the equation. There isn't the ability to shoot people. I mean, it seems quite simple, straightforward to me, but I'm not a gun nut, so that may be where I differ to the people that want to keep guns. What what I should add is, uh, Miss Campbell, if you're listening to this prior to Fright Fest, um, it's playing Friday the 26th at 9 o'clock in the Discovery Screen 2, which is in the Prince Charles. Um, people going, going to the festival will know where that is. I will put links in the show notes, and if you're listening to this in the future, there will be links to how you can watch this film. Right then, moving on to five great trauma films. Yay! Now the rules are simple. You've 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 given me five films. It's the format is five times five, which is five films, five minutes to discuss each film. And for the for the uh, for the new listener to the podcast who's come to this show then what will happen is, at the end of five minutes, a dog will bark. Some of you are saying, obviously it would, but yeah, a dog barks five minutes to alarm me that uh, five minutes are up because, essentially, I'm a passive-aggressive host who doesn't like to interrupt and say five minutes are up, so I let my phone do it, and then I I let the (laughs) guest realise that five minutes are up. What that doesn't mean, though, is you have to shut up the minute the dog barks. I mean, by all means, finish your thought. And often it can, and if the conversation is going that way, I'll let it run. It's more for me to not allow like one film to be talked about for 25 minutes. And then we go, and there's four other films on the list. Okay. Does that make sense to you, Liam? Yeah. Okay. So we'll start off with, with 1976's Bloodsucking Freaks, which I can tell you is a film that was banned. I think when I tried to watch it in the UK, in the 80s and in the mid 90s i got to see it in the states because i was blown away by the fact that in america there there was this ability to release the film with no certification it just couldn't be a mainstream it couldn't be sold through mainstream places as easy that was it so that was the rule in britain if you didn't get certification you couldn't sell it in the mass market which is kind of insane but i wanted to each what each one i'm going to give because because obviously trauma is a particular type of film in, in, in a macro sense, I just want to draw on little bits of what critics have said. So for each film, I've picked a, a little quote. So for Bloodsucking Freaks, Rob Wigley, Wrigley even, of ClassicHorror.com said, 
as a cultural artifact and as an example of the worst uses of creative energy. However, blood-sucking freaks is a must-see. Just remember, if you are offended by it, the joke is on you. I know, idiot. Liam, tell me about Bloodsucking Freaks. What, what, how did you come to this film? Back in 1998, the uh, early days of the internet, I guess, um, uh, I ordered uh, two DVDs, uh, Trauma's War and Cannibal the Musical. And You must uh, mean 1998, not 1988. Oh, I'm sorry, 1998, sorry. I was going to say, if you're on the oh, internet man. in 1988, I want to know what time machine you're in. <laughs> 1998, a glorious year. Um, so yeah, so I got, I got a two DVDs from Trauma. It took ages for them to come. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they lost all the orders or whatever, but they took the money. And I think in the late 90s, when you bought something off the internet, it was more of a kind of risk, right? Yeah, it's it was like, a trust exercise. I don't know. It was a trust Completely. exercise. <laughs> so four months later, I get this big box um, delivered to my house. And I'm like, who's this from? And it's from Trauma. And they not only put in Cannibal the Musical and um, Trauma's, I think it was Cannibal the Musical and Trauma's War I ordered. Um, but they also gave me like six other DVD titles and a wow. T-shirt and a VHS. Anyway, one of those DVD titles, and I've still got it today, uh, is uh, Bloodsucking Freaks. Uh, um, and I, I always heard of the title and I always saw the images in Dark Side magazine because mm-hmm. I used to buy Dark Side magazine a lot in the 90s. And um, you know, I watched it one night. So in 1988, I must have been like 13 years old. And it, <laughs> I'd never seen anything quite like it before. And it, it's a great commentary on the, the artist versus the critic. Um, along with a midget called Ralphus. And I mean, looking at the film, it's an extremely misogynistic film. Mm. Um, but I feel like there's more going on uh, with it, with, um, uh, you know, with the, uh, you know, idea that an artist uh, doing all this work, Sadhu, so, so, so he follows Sadhu, who um, has this kind of uh, torture show. And he has a magical Ralphus. And there's one of the critics um, who gives him a bad review. So he then kidnaps the critic and essentially makes him part of the show. And I, I think I, I, I think there's more there's more going on with the film than the actual um, torture, if you can look past that. And it's very well made. And funnily enough, the DVD has an audio commentary by Eli Roth. Really? And now this is like, pre- yeah, yeah. So this is pre-cabin fever, Eli Roth. So Eli, um, he interned at the trauma building, uh, I think for a year in like 97, 98. And the funny story is, is that the director, Joel M. Reed, um, trauma reached out and asked him to do the audio commentary and Joel wanted $100 and trauma said no. So they, so they got Eli, who was an intern at the time, an unpaid intern, and say, hey, you like this film, do the audio commentary. So, you know, when I listened to that when I was like 13 years old, and I'm like, oh, shit, this guy who did the audio commentary has got a film coming out called Cabin Fever. And then uh, now look at him. 
The rest is history, as you say. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, the rest is history. I mean, it, you know, interestingly enough, Blood Sunny Freaks is now available uh, over here by, I think, H8 Films has mm. released it. And I feel it's uncut, um, which I'm really surprised with. Um, there's a cool scene at the end with the cock sandwich. <laughs> but is it, in a way, is, it, is availability now more a reflection of the fact that a, it's not as shocking as it once was, and B, the effects are not exactly convincing in the way that, you know, we might be used to seeing these days. You know, the the schlocky, bloody violence is literally that now. It can we've the censors, as it were, have been have allowed themselves that wriggle room that if it looks schlocky, it is schlocky. Completely. And you know, I, I think it's all about the tone um as well. Uh I think I think I think it's many factors. However, you know, I would argue that, like, with society now, I think it's more probably offensive these days uh, in some respects, um, just because it is extremely misogynistic. But I don't think it's a mean-spirited film. Uh, I think you can have a lot of fun, and like you say, it is extremely schlocky at the same time. Mm. Um, and even though I own the Blu-ray release and the DVD, there's something about watching a compressed <laughs> um, version on DVD that, makes it much more seedier than the uh, the blu-ray transfer <laughs> well i just I've, I've come across a website called badmovies.org and, and in that oh there goes the <laughs> there goes the dog maybe we'll never know about what that's oh and he just it's interesting it's just i just i didn't look at the other one whether he covered the others but for uh for blood-sucking freaks he uh the guy does that he does a plot summary and then he goes things i learned from this movie Sadistic midgets carrying hacksaws are really bad news. Sadists <laughs> use naked girls' backsides for dartboards. Mass nudity can improve any movie. Chainsaws sound like electric knives. I thought these are kind of interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's not Roger Ebert, is it? But it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting summary of a film. <laughs> most certainly, most certainly. But no, I I recommend anyone to uh, to check it out. I think it's it's one of those kind of like video nasties. I think it originally was going to be called the Incredible. I think it was the original title was the Incredible Torture Show. I think. But yeah, I you know I recommend everyone to check it out. It's uh, you'll never forget it. Shooting into the eighties to nineteen eighty four. The next film on your list is Combat Shock, which my friend Anton Pidel, he wrote, Combat Shock is a downbeat, depressing film dripping with persistent pessimism that runs counter to the prevailing Reaganite ideology of the day. For here, instead of conspicuous affluism and yuppieism, we get an alternative view of street-level life on the destitute, desperate margins of 80s America, comparable to the hell of war itself. The fight. How did you come in contact with Combat Shock? Where does it start for you? That was uh, one of those DVDs that came in the same box as Bloodsucking Freaks. So okay. again, 13 years old. And I loved everything about Combat Shock. So I think Combat Shock was probably one of the first films 
maybe um, bad taste as well, where I could tell that it looked different. And what I'm referring to there is a super 16 millimeter uh, look to the film. And it's shot in New York. It's so gritty. It's so dirty. And, you know, the older I became, I watched films such as like Taxi Driver and Eraserhead. And I can completely tell uh, what Buddy Giovanazzi, um, the director of the film, was going for. But there's just something so nihilistic about the film. And it's, it's still got a lot of power today. In fact, when I was in college, uh, when I was uh, studying media in context, mm. I actually stood up and uh, uh, presented like a, not a thesis, it was like a, like a half an hour talk on Combat Shock. And, you know, back then I was able to, uh, you know, I guess I can still do it now, but I just don't. Uh, you know, when you can hook, a, hook up a scar from a DVD to a VHS and you can like, you know, record shit. And uh, I don't want to call it bootlegging because mm. I wasn't selling anything. But, um, you know, um, so I showed them a scene at the end because there's a scene at the end where he, um, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, uh, but he uh, takes out um, milk, a carton of milk from the fridge and he pours the carton of milk, the, 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 the lead uh, protagonist in the film. Um, and the milk goes sour. So you so the milk is sour. It's very lumpy milk. And he, he drinks it. And then something just comes over him that and I don't, I'm not, okay. I'm not going to spoil it because I know if I say the next thing, it's just going to ruin the whole film. But, I, but I, what I remember distinctively that I said in media and context was, Oh yeah, the milk dripped down to his converse shoes. And you know, uh, the milk is supposed to uh, represent purity and there's no more purity in his life, which is now, which is why it's sour. You know, like when you kind of like just make up a lot of bullshit uh, mm. from me in context. But hey, I was able to convince a lot of people I knew what the hell I was talking about. But the film is brilliant. And I mean, if anything, I've always wanted to shoot on Super 16mm. Um, uh, I have Kodak film stock. However, you know, and each 60 millimeter cutout film stuff is like 11 minutes per reel or something. Yeah. The issue is, uh, Stuart, is when you try and get that shit processed and then transfer to digital, it costs so much. It just costs so much fucking money. And you've got, like, you've got to have the discipline. Mm. And you look at something like Combat Shock and it's like, you can tell it's very micro budget. Um, and, you know, but the guy had the discipline to, you know, get the shots he needed and... When you listen to the audio commentary, they had no money whatsoever. In fact, the audio commentary, uh, Buddy Giovanazzi uh, does it with the director of uh, Necromantic. Jörg Borg, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and again, that's another DVD audio commentary that I, I recommend. I think the film's available on Arab DVD uh, over here. I don't think it's had, no, it's definitely not had a Blu ray release. Um, but I have the, like, the Severin Blu ray where they were only able to make 2000. Uh, due to the contract with trauma, and I just remember just fought, and I and I rewatched it. I think in twenty eighteen, and I just remember falling in love with the film again. You know, just wow. I, 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 the sound. I, I, yeah, it's it's. Have you seen it, Stuart? Have I've not. No, it's one. Of, it's one I've not heard of till 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 coming across your list. I think when people think of trauma, they think of Toxic Avenger. They think, they think of Trauma and Juliet, but uh, Combat Shock uh, is like a straight laced, nihilistic, nasty movie. Yeah, no, it sounds like my cup of tea. Yeah, man, I think I think I think you'd love it. I think you really, really would love it. Like I say, taxi driver meets a razor head is probably the best way to describe it. There it goes is. the dog. No, there we go. For your third choice, we're just jumping a couple of years into 1987. And to be honest with you, it's interesting that you said 
that people know toxic know trauma for Toxic Avenger and Trauma and Juliet. I've seen Toxic Avenger, but I think when I saw it originally, it was so out of context that I just saw it as a film because I just got it, you know, for the video shop. I didn't, I wasn't aware of trauma. This, this, this kind of trash cinema brand that that would, you know, that would that would throw buckets of blood at everything. Um, but late night TV of the late eighties and maybe probably early nineties, Surf Nazis Must Die from nineteen eighty seven was on a lot. And that became, I'm trying to think, I'm going to, I want to say it was the Horror Channel, but it can't have been. But it must have been a proto, a, a, you know, a, what do you call it? A prototype, whatever whatever came before, maybe in Sci-Fi Channel or something like that. Um, was it Was it Bravo? Bravo, that'll be it, yeah. Yeah, Bravo. I was just trying to think, I couldn't think what the channel was on. I have a tattoo right here. So to me, that is, that's what I, th- I think of trauma. I think of Surf Nazis Must Die, which is your third choice. And... What's interesting is that it was the only one of the five choices you gave me when I was looking for critics to try and find, to get a quote from. I'm like, hold on a minute, salon.com, that's pretty heavyweight for a, for a trauma. So in that one, you've got the, 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 the David Lazarus from salon.com concluded, Surf Nazis Must Die is the sort of film Ed Wood might have made if he was active today, except he'd be the only one in on the joke. Does that, does that resonate? Is it? I mean, I don't think that. I think that's meant in good in good spirit. I don't think that's meant to be mean. I don't think he's being like snotty nose about it. I think no, not at all. I, I mean, I mean, like so. Sickness must die. The title. I, th- I think whenever you hear that title, you have this vision of what the film is. It's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, isn't it? It's just it's it's got everything. Every word is loaded. Exactly. I mean, the, the original title was Surf Nazis. Um, which uh, Lloyd and Michael took to Cannes to sell in like the uh, mid eighties, and obviously with a title like Surf Nazis, it sounds very well. It could be interpreted as pro Nazi, right? Well, in a country in, in a country that was occupied by Nazis, it would be yeah, completely yeah. So adding the must die to it, I, I just think sir, when you say to somebody, Surf Nazis must die, what a title, right? If anything. The, the issue, but I think the issue with it, Stuart, is that when you hear that title, I don't think the film could ever deliver. No. Now, I, what I mean by that is it, it, I love the movie so much, but you expect a different kind of film, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What's this all about, Kraut? Sand. Not getting the most out of it. I know the coast in my bones, and its potential has never been greater. But we need to work together. My way. Nazi battleships will be patrolling the whole coast soon. Forget about individual colors. Forget about gang territory. We need to centralize power. We need to pull together. Under the sign of the swastika. And all now! You couldn't handle the power! I mean, I'll, I'll, I am in that camp of the title sold me and it didn't do what the title promises. So what? So what is it that makes it a good film for you as part of the trauma catalogue? To me, I, I think I love it because it takes itself so seriously. 
there's really no comedy in the film. It's a very kind of post, it's kind of like a, it's not like a post-apocalyptic, but kind of like, it's set like in the future somewhere. And it's got this awesome industrial soundtrack, which I think was released on vinyl like maybe a few years ago. Beautiful, beautiful industrial soundtrack. And, you know, one, you know, you've got some really awesome surf footage. Each Nazi character like Adolf, Mengele, um, Eve, um, Hook, like the, each each character is very different. And then, you know, so with surf Nazis, it's so in the 80s or whenever it's set, there's a bunch of like clip, like surf clicks, uh, like, like there's the tidal waves, there's... Um, what are the other names? But anyway, Surf Nazis is one of them. And they're ruling every single surf clique, right? They, they're like, we're the master of the beaches. And like, you know, they, they, they kind of plow down everybody, mama. Now, um, they, they kill Leroy um, uh, on, on the beach, you know, this, this black dude. And when uh, Leroy's uh, mother's in a retirement home, and uh, when she hears that he's, you know, being killed, she takes it upon herself to find out who's done it. And it's kind of like this, like six-year-old woman against the, you know, these fascists. It's it, it's it's so good. Now that does sound comedic, but I think what works with the film, Stuart, I think what makes the film so good is that it it kind of embraces uh, the, um, not the absurdity, but it plays it straight. And I think that's what makes it more powerful. It doesn't make it funny. It just makes it really powerful. And, you know, a lot of trauma films, they're very tongue-in-cheek, they're very meta. And I think when you hear Surf Nessies Must Die, think of, I mean, you look at the poster and, you know, you've got this idea of what the film should be, but it's kind of like a 180. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, you, you kind of, uh, it's like the, uh, the bait and switch. I mean, what's your thoughts on the film? I, I think I don't think I was sophisticated enough to sort of see it on that level. I wanted tongue in cheek, and I wanted more of the the kind of schlockiness. But it, the schlockiness isn't there in the same way it is on traditional trauma films, for a better expression. Completely. Yeah. I mean, were you a fan of the movie, or do you think that like the the, the films couldn't live up to the title? Because that's what that's one thing I've heard many people say. I was, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the idea of it. If that makes sense, I think the spirit <laughs> the spirit was made in, and like you, you know, in exploitation cinema, nailing a title like Surf Nazis Must Die, you've kind of won bingo, haven't you? In, in terms of in terms of you know, it, it lights up the it lights up the I'm aware of this kind of thing. People are aware of this film that aren't don't know yeah. what trauma is from an apple, but this film, you know, this title is so completely great, and probably thanks in certainly in the UK down to. Things like Bravo. That would, I mean, it was on all the time. It wasn't just on once. It was almost on, you know, no, on, every Friday. Um, so yeah, no. And I feel like you, the way you've described it is that maybe it's I'm due a revisit because, in a sense, I feel I could probably watch it for that straight face because that's something I like about cinema now is like where where you play straight what is ridiculous. It shouldn't be played straight, and and that's suddenly where you you as an audience begin to take yeah. note because you're not, you know, you're expecting people to just wink at the camera or or whatever. And if they don't, you're kind of like, why are they not winking at the camera? This is ridiculous. Exactly. And, and it's one of those things where all the filmmakers and everyone creating it must have felt like they were creating a, um, a piece of art in a way. 
you know, um, with a title like Surf Nazis. Um, what I would recommend is H8 Films uh, did a beautiful 2K transfer uh, a few years ago. And uh, I recommend just to, just to watch that because it just brings the film to life. It, 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 it really... Yeah, it really um, uh, gives the film like a, just a new lease on life, should I say, with the two K with the two K transfer. Right then, your fourth choice is probably features the most famous name involved with it in terms of legacy. Um, I mean, Eli Roth is a legacy, but that's somebody who worked on the commentary of a film. But in terms of directing a film on trauma, I looked, I checked through all the others, and you know they've they've had careers or to a lesser or greater degree, but. Cannibal the Musical from 1993 is directed by Trey Parker, which is obviously one of the co-creators of South Park. I went back to ClassicHorror.com for a quote, a writer called Jen DeLugas. She said, I could go on about the amateur screenshots, poor cuts, and very obvious continuity issues, but this is a film that you just don't care. And if you do care, it's probably not for you. Which I feel like that could be like on the po- on the poster of every single trauma film in some senses. Cannibal Musical, I... I um... So I used to visit the Trouble website in 996, and um, I think in 997 they mentioned from the creators of South Park, and you know South Park wasn't introduced to the UK until April 98 or something like that. Um, uh, so I was like, oh, what's this new film that Trauma has? And then uh, Channel Four during Series Two of South Park had a South Park night, and they uh, they screened uh, Campbell Musical. So I'm like, oh, great, this is the uh, film I've seen on Trauma.com. And uh, I'm a huge fan of musicals. Like, so, you know, as a kid, my mom and dad would take me to the West End to see all the Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals. Like, Starlight Express was the first musical I ever saw. Wow. Like, the, the new Starlight Express. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I grew, I've seen Blood Brothers a million times. So I've always been like a musical kid. Um, so Cannibal the Musical to me was just... It, I, I find with musicals, the more you watch them, the better they become. Because, you know, you know the songs, you know every single B, etc. And with, with Cannibal the Musical, even though Trey Parker uh, made that in film school, um, obviously they had investors involved, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they had access to equipment. It's such a, um, what's the word? It, 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 it's, it feels like, a re- for me anyway, it feels like a real movie. It's such an accomplished film, should I say. The original title was Alfred Packer, the musical, and it was originally distributed over here on VHS by uh, an indie VHS level called Screen Edge. Do you remember Screen Edge? I remember it coming out on screen. I was trying to, I was trying to Google while you were talking. It's Yeah, I remember that being it because they were obviously trying to use the South Park to sell it, and it was, re- right. it was really underground Screen Edge, yeah. 
Oh, completely. Yeah, I think they put out stuff like The Dead Next Door and they put out uh, Shattered Dead and, you know, some of the titles. Mm. Um, uh, but, but yeah, like w- when I saw that on uh, Channel 4, I, I just I couldn't get enough of it. I thought it was fantastic. And then soon after, I rented Orgasmo. And then obviously, the Zucker Brothers made Basketball, which featured Trey Parker and Matt Stone and obviously the South Park movie. And, you know, I... It, it felt like the late 90s. Whenever I think of the late 90s, I just think like Trey Parker, Kevin Smith, Trauma, you know. Um, but Kettle Musical is just so funny. The, 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 it's not a gory film. Now, there is gore in the film mm. at the front of the movie, but apart from that, the title called Kettle the Musical, it's a pretty straight-laced film uh, when it comes to gore, that is. Uh, but the songs are just so catchy. And, you know, you could, you could tell Trey was musically talented because, you know, he went on from doing that to then he did the, the South Park uh, movie uh, to Book of Mormon. Mm. Um, uh, so, you know, I, 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 I assume you've seen kind of a musical. A long time ago. So it's it's not one that's in the memory banks, if I'm honest with you. I, I always say it's probably one of the most accessible trauma films. So if someone asks me, okay, recommend me a trauma film, yeah. I'll probably say uh, Tromeo and Juliet, uh, Cannibal the Musical, or maybe Poultry Guys, uh, which is also a musical. Of course. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, to me, you know, Trey Parker is one of those great filmmakers where he's only made like a handful of movies, mm. but I feel like every single one, he's, you know, he's knocked it out of the park. And I, kind of, it's really weird because Cannibal the Musical, I don't think it has any UK distribution. And I know that Troma don't have the um, the print to put it to Blu-ray. So it's only available on DVD or the Troma Now app. But, uh, you know, I completely recommend it. In fact, I'm actually going to uh, Denver, Colorado next month. There's a South Park concert yeah. uh, with Primus, Ween, Trey and Matt. And two days beforehand, they're doing a, a Cannibal the Musical and Orgasmo screening with the, the producer, Jason McHugh, and Dean Baha, who stars in both. So it'd be cool to see that on the big screen. Um, I just thought I'd drop that in there. I'm after them. I'm after the South Park concert. <laughs> I love Ween so much, but they never come to the UK. And Primus just cancelled their fucking Rush concert. So it's like, fuck it, I'll go over. <laughs> well, if if you don't mind, if you let, if you indulge me for a second, then I was lucky enough in my in, we're about to the dog's about to bark. I was lucky enough to uh, see Ween when they toured the Pod album. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where um, they spent, I'm going to say they spent twenty minutes laughing because somebody farted and they'd been drinking Newcastle Brown having curry on the previous day. I saw them in Birmingham. Edwards Number Eights, which is a, which is a tiny, tiny venue, sort of, and 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 sadly, it was you know there's probably there was only twenty of us there to watch the show. I mean, this is when um, when because that's on Shimmy Disc and Kramer Kramer played bass with the band on the tour, so you've got Kramer with with um, with right, Wayne, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it was it's one of the best things I've ever seen. And I was lucky enough to see them since I lived in London. I saw them play at Shepherd's Bush, Shepherd's Bush Empire. Which was quite phenomenal. I don't think I've ever been. Wow. Or was it? Was it? Or was it the story? It might have been the story actually. But it was amazing. Just to. I mean, I like you. I'm. I mean, I've been there since. Since Godwin Satan, you know, I bought. I remember buying it in a record shop in Halifax, and the record shop yeah. owner saying to me, "It's a bit odd that album, you know." And I was like thinking, "Yeah, that's why I bought it. I want. I want. I want the oddness of it." But I think. But in a way, in a funny way, it's. There's 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 a, there's a, there's a share, you know there's a sharing of passion for creating lots of stuff which you could 
draw a line between Choma and Ween and possibly um, Primus as well. Even you know that it's 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 always what you always get the sense they're making or producing what they want, not what they think the world needs. Completely, yeah. And you know, I, I like this idea just as a sidebar. I think that's why I uh, love Choma so much. I mean, Lloyd could have easily worked in the industry. I mean, he has worked on rock and he worked on Saturday Night Fever. Rocky was edited at the uh, old Trona building in really? his kitchen. Um, yeah, yeah. John, so John G. Abels, then, you know, uh, Rocky, uh, Lloyd, really good friends. Uh, and Lloyd's got a cameo in, in, in Rocky. He's um, the part where Rocky picks up a homeless guy and takes him into the, I think it's a cafe or a restaurant or bar, bar. And uh, that's Lloyd. No. Uh, Lloyd that's was amazing. Like, yeah, dude. So Lloyd was the production manager uh, on... In fact, John G. Abelsden mentions Lloyd in his Oscar speech. So it's kind of cool to... Uh, wow. You know, a little cool trivia right there. But yeah, just to go back, like, I think what I love about Trauma is that Lloyd could have worked in the industry, but instead he, may, he creates the films he wants to make. And, you know, with, with um, Banjo and, and crap, um, you know, no one's ever going to make Banjo. So I saved up and, you know, I, I did it myself. And, and I feel like, I'm always going to do that just because I'm such a control freak. And I always feel like, I, I remember the experience of Banjo being censored and having to change the title and the poster and all this kind of stuff with the US distributor. And I'm like, do I really want to go through that? I mean, that happens in so many different territories and markets. I get that. Mm. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if I can just put out my version in the UK, um, you know, and, and give it a festival run, then, you know, whatever happens happens but at least my version's out there um but yeah sorry that was just a sidebar why i love trauma so much because they are truly independent and lloyd's like the nicest guy and it's so weird to think that you know he's the reason why i got into filmmaking i've loved trauma since i was 11 years old um since watching toxic Avenger part two and now it's like to have lloyd produce in this Campbell and you know being a friend you know staying yeah. at his house and you know just it's it's so it's so surreal to me stuart that like eleven year old me would not believe any of the shit, you know. Well, I guess as well. I guess as well. You prove you're proving the old adage wrong of never meet your heroes. Clearly, meeting your hero has been a good thing. Oh, completely, man. Yeah, without a doubt, he is the best. Um, and so funny as well. And uh, you know, it, it, and also the Toxic Avenger remakes due out uh, this year. It's been finished. Legendary Pictures has uh, created it, and it's got Elijah Wood, Kevin Bacon, and Pierre Dinklage. And I hope, I hope to God that puts like a brand new light on trauma mm-hmm. um, that, that it's not had for many years, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so that was just a sidebar. <laughs> no, no, no sidebar away. That was really interesting. Right then, your fifth choice is the end of the century, 1999's Fatty Drives the Bus, which I'll be honest with you, I had never heard of this at all. So this is going to be interesting for me. You want an apple, 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 you want an apple. I want an apple. I have one right here. Testament to how maybe little known this film is, there are only two reviews that I could find. Um, via via IMDb, you know all the other, all the other four films. I could have chose a multitude of uh, of reviews. There were two reviews I could choose from, and I went for uh, Gordon Maples of misanthropy.com where he says, uh, "Fatty drives the bus" is not a good movie in any conventional sense of the term, 
but there is some strange enjoyment to be had out of it. I, I think that's such a fair, you know, um, description of the film. It is so wacky. And the only reason I discovered it is, you know, back in 2005, the peak of DVD, you know, the peak of DVD. I, um, you know, I, I, I dropped out of college. I dropped out of college. I just didn't go back <laughs> my third year. No, university. I didn't go back to my uh, third year of university because, uh, you know, I was an idiot that liked to drink back then and party. Anyway, I, so I got a job. I got a full-time job. And, you know, I had, um, I had an expendable uh, income. I could just like buy whatever I wanted. So when I discovered eBay.com and found that I could buy DVDs really cheap, I must have like bought like bulk, bought like 60 trauma DVDs. Uh, all came in a big box. You know, I just got like everything. And one of them was Fire Drive the Bus. And I'm like, well, that's a funny title. I have zero idea what it's about. And the first time I watched it, I didn't get it. You know, there's, there's some films that I'll watch first time and I just don't understand. Like Anchorman is one film I, I really didn't like the first time around. I don't know why, it just didn't click. Second time around, oh my God, this is genius. And Fire Drives the Bus is very similar. It's created by a comedy troupe that hasn't really done anything since Fight Drives the Bus. Um, and it's about how the devil comes down to uh, Earth and he takes over this uh, this bus tour. And it, it, it's so messed up and weird. It's, I, I, there's, no, there's not so much a linear narrative, but much like a Monty Python movie, like something like a, um, I guess, Meaning of Life, where it has kind of like a, a narrative thread but not that it's more of like sketch parts. Um, that's, that's what Fire Drives the Bus is. And it's a film that not many people have, uh, have seen or heard of. Um, but, you know, um, I remember when I started working at Patroma, when I went over to New York to work on Return to Newcomb High, and, you know, everyone on that set were trauma fans. And we'd talk about, you know, what our favorite trauma films were. And everyone that were there, it was always the deep cuts that not, you know, it wasn't just Toxic Avenger, Trevor Julia. You know, um, Zach and Nico, one of the stars, mentioned Fatty Drives the Bus. And I'm like, oh my God, Fatty Drives the Bus. And it felt so good to me that I was able to mention that title to somebody else. And someone else knew exactly what the fuck I was talking about. And it wasn't just like me, you know, that, uh, because, you know, it's hard to kind of show people uh, trauma films sometimes, because especially these days, because people are so used to uh, what's out in the cinema and then what's out on Netflix. And obviously trauma is very much of a, uh, a low production value. And a lot of their golden era films are from many years ago. Um, and, and now everything's digital. I, and that's just another thing I'll mention is that the digital revolution is fantastic. I would never have been able to be a filmmaker stupid if uh, it was just film still. You know, I, I think, I think it'd make it much harder. But the problem is now is anyone can, can make a film. Mm. Anyone can make a film. But it's so hard to stand out. And I think why I love about Fight It Drives the Bus came out in the late 90s, shot on Super 16mm. They could have done something conventional. They could have done something mainstream. It's, it's, it's a movie that you can't really market. And with a title like that, which I find it's, it's so genius because there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a bus driver. Okay, so right, there's a driver that doesn't even have a name. He's just fat. And he drives the bus. It has nothing to do with the film. He drives the bus. And it's genius. I recommend Stuart that you check it out. Now, a bit of a plug right now. Troma Now, first month free, watch.troma.com. 
check out Fatty Drives the Bus. Anyone that's that's listening to this, there's always a free month on Troma, uh, on watch.troma.com. You can download the app onto Fire Stick. Watch Fatty Drives the Bus and message me and then tell me how much you hate it <laughs> and how much, Liam, you've wasted 90 minutes of my life. But I'll be like, but that's 90 minutes that you can say, hey, I watch Fatty Drives the Bus. In fact, I'm sure that if anyone like suddenly passes away and their life flashes before their eyes, the, those 90 minutes of Fatty Drives the Bus will flash back because... You'll never forget it. Well, well, <laughs> just, just to give us a taste, give us a taste. Then, get what, what would be something that's 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 outlandish in it? You know, what was a bold idea that they did in that film that really resonates with you? And I, I think it's it's a very theatrical film. Mm. It, what I mean by that is that they create hell on this kind of on this kind of like stage, mm-hmm. and it's very kind of. I don't want to call high school, but it's it's very kind of cheap, but it kind of works at the same time. It is so bizarre. Like the whole thing is just, it has to be seen to be believed. It's so surreal. Right then. That's five great trauma films. Thank you very much. I'm going to run through the list for those that weren't paying attention. We've got Blood Sucking Freaks from 1976. We've got Combat Shock from 1984. We've got Surf Nazis Must Die from 87. Cannibal, the musical from 1993, and Fatty Drives the Bus from 1999. Um, now, those are five great trailer movies, and I purposely didn't mention any of Lloyd's films because they're all masterpieces in their own right. But I wanted to give people, I mean, I'm sure people have heard of stuff Nazis Must Die, but I bet no one's heard of Fatty Drives the Bus. So. No, no, I include <laughs> myself in that, as I say. So, no, I think, no, I think you do a good service by. By uh, by pointing out because I think your enthusiasm for them is as much is as much is as valuable as being told they exist. You know, I think I think when people, if you can tap into why people like stuff, often that means you can watch it with that in mind. It's not because if you if you go, I'm going to watch a good film, and then you put Fatty Drives the Bus on, that that can come with its own expectations that aren't going to be met. But if you watch it with, I guess I guess you've got to. I mean, there's only way to watch a trauma film in many senses is. With a certain, with a certain squint, squinted look in your eye while you look at it, you're not going to look at it hard. Completely. But then there are, but then I think as well though, because of the the boldness of a lot of them, they do end up. And I mean, I guess a, a stopwatch is right twice a day as well. Like, but but they do end up <laughs> making points. And because they've made stuff up, they've made so much. There's been so much made over a long, a sustained period of time. They become a commentary on where we were. I mean, I think I think Anton's comments about Combat Shock, for example you know, referencing Reaganite America, you know, there's clearly something to be said. It might not be saying it like wagging its finger at you, but clearly that's the context when the film was made. Completely. And, you know, poultry guys is about the fast food industry. Trauma's War is about Reagan politics. Trauma and Juliet, it was, I think it was how many years of Shakespeare that were celebrating at, at that time. Um, you know, Toxic Avengers, a commentary on obviously toxic waste, spirals all over America. Um, yeah, it, so, yeah, it... Um, you know, Shakespeare, the latest one, hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, that's about um, uh, social justice warriors and how it's easy to be uh, cancelled. But it's also, you know, it's essentially an updated version of Shakespeare's Tempest, um, but just played, uh, you know, uh, in, in current day. Uh, you know, it's, it's very good. If it, if it ever comes to the UK, which I think is going to be doing a, a UK tour of it, hopefully later this year, you should come see it, Stuart, you know. I think you'd like it. Well, look, and to bring us full circle, you've made a new film, Eating Miss Campbell, which is world premiering at Fright Fest in August 
2022, depending on when people listen to this podcast. I will put links in the show notes for those that are listening to it with time to go see it. And hopefully, for those that don't, I'll give links to Refuse Films where people can buy the film uh, in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Stuart. I really appreciate that. And thank you for having me on again. <laughs> it's really weird. I still, I, I've, I've got to like, I, I've got to um, rehearse my press junkie for Eat Miss Campbell because when it's someone out, it's all these million things. You know, with banjo, it's easy. It's like, oh, it's about a guy that snaps the banjo string on his penis and he conjures an imaginary friend. Boom. Eat Miss Campbell, it's about a million different things. And uh, so I've really got to rehearse that. I've really got to rehearse it. But I'll, I'll get to it. You're the first person I spoke about it, Stuart. So I'm like, it's about school maskers. It's about veganism. It's about blah, 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 blah. But yeah. Well, look, I feel privileged to have got the uh, the spitball version. It just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. No, thank you so much, Stuart. And hopefully there'll be a third time, you know, maybe, uh, maybe in the next seven or eight years. Yeah. <laughs> well, if I'm still doing podcasts, then you'll be very welcome. Thank you, sir. Oh, Beth. Would you eat me? My name is Beth Connor, and for the past 17 years, my life has gone straight to video. On-demand streaming channels will pay a handsome seven figures for an... Gee whiz! A school shooting? This school is enabling school massacres by allowing students to choose between either killing their friends or killing themselves. Planning on inviting Miss Campbell to the Organite Massacre Contest? You know, if you don't have a boner for Miss Campbell, you could always attend to mine. For lack of a better term, problematic. Z Kyle! What is this bullshit? shit? Well, that's one way to deal with unruly students dressed as former presidents. Together, we could rid the world of this toxic, self-appointed patriarchy that served nothing to womankind but pain and grief. And what is more poetic and American than a high school massacre? MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.